passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to... Pollock and Thurston, we're not interviewing anybody today. We are just chatting one-on-one as we break down the WWE's first quarter earnings report, and we'll probably get into some Wembley Stadium discussion, and maybe, if there is time, how much does it cost for a city to get the Royal Rumble in 2024? Highest bids, get ready, because your public dollars are bringing the Royal Rumble, potentially to Florida. Yes. Are, are you ready to have a robust conversation and give some incremental color to the WWE Q1 earnings report that happened yesterday uh, to really harness the the post-wrestling flywheel here? I'm ready to go. Excited. Well, I, I have the, uh, the quote of all quotes uh, coming up later from Frank Riddick as he all but said, some heads are going to roll once this merger comes down. But here is the most um, animated way I can discuss it in terms of uh, – L- making it seem as less violent as it's it's going to be with a, with a blood shedding after this merger goes through. But I've got to say, Brandon, that going into this uh, earnings report, you know, with the with the merger pending, I got to say, I thought I thought this was like a pretty like ho hum Q and A. Like we got we got a little bit of uh, th- to me. This is this was not one of the uh, the stellar calls when it came to a uh, Nostradamus Nick Khan uh, projecting where all the sports rights were going to go. And a lot of big news stories, although breaking news, he didn't opine about the media space and the landscape. This was a very safe call. I have to say, though, for for me personally, the most feedback I got was people stunned that WWE writers are not part of the Writers Guild. Like, did did anybody think that this was a thing, that this was a unionized uh, effort that the WWE writers have undergone, that Stephanie McMahon uh, blazed the trail for unionized writers? But it seemed to be. A shock that WWE will not be affected by this Writers Guild strike, which I, I, I'm glad the question was asked, but I did not expect that kind of uh, feedback from people. Yeah, it, it's one of the disclosures I've seen it for for years, where they say none of our employees are re- represented by a union, and then that would refer to corporate employees. I think writers are are employees, but they're not represented by a union, Correct. and nobody who works for WWE talent or employees are represented by a union. So they're all, they're, they're in the clear as far as that goes. I, I did see someone joke that you know, maybe if they had writers who were represented by the WGA, the, their, their scripts would be better. Some of the scripted promos wouldn't be what they are. If there is one person in the wrestling media space, that's going to design uh, an AI generated raw script. It's on your shoulders, Brandon. Like this is, this is what the whole, the, the writer's strike. This is a part of what they are concerned about is looking at right. these potential problems. I mean, could we get, uh, an AI generated WWE program over the next five years. Well, only if only if Hollywood does that, because I think one of the main functions of, of the writers uh, system in WWE is, is to make WWE feel more like it is a, a major entertainment Hollywood TV show. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about the the earnings that they did report. They had a net income for the quarter of uh, just over $36.6 million with revenue of $297.5 million. And this was essentially a quarter of, this is the difference between uh, comparing to last year where they had a large scale international event and this year not having a large scale international event. So um Still, still that, that titling for Saudi Arabia, but uh, a big difference, uh, roughly $56 million in, in difference. Uh, but nonetheless, this was a quarter that was received very well. And there was a lot for them to pat themselves on the back for this quarter when it looked where live events were just a couple of years ago. And this was looking like a pretty dire sector. And now, you know, something that, that you've beaten the drum on, Brandon, is, you know, good creative star creation and look how it can affect other areas of your business. This would certainly be a lot of evidence towards that, that this this hot swing of television, it has resulted in television viewership being up and people buying a lot more tickets than prior years. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, to make a minor point first, it was this quarter was more profitable than than my spreadsheet model was calculating that and punching the numbers in on their expenses yesterday when the when the 10Q finally came out. I think that's due to my not taking into account for the the lower expenses that they're having now because they're doing merchandise through fanatics for their e-commerce and now they're which has not hit the books yet but they're going to do that for vending merch now soon. Um, so they're saving a lot of expense and it seems that they're, it's making them more profitable. Um, so that's happening. But yeah, I, I don't think there can be enough said about th- this is a really positive consumer metrics time that. The years of 2016 to 2019 were not. We saw, yeah, decreases in TV ratings, and maybe you can dismiss that somewhat because of cord cutting and people watching TV less. But we're seeing positive trends in TV ratings and positive trends in attendance. Um, and the the TV ratings being up, you know, it's kind of like, you know, there, there's such a headwind with TV ratings in general that maybe maybe flat is good news. But that that's not what they've got here. Raw and SmackDown are up year over year. Um, and if you look in the demo, which now they're breaking out the demo, they're putting the demo slide in the TV slides, which is very exciting. Um, that that the younger viewership is up even more strongly. And I've, I've broken out 18 to 34. So the younger half of the demo uh, and that's up even more strongly. So, and I, and I think that the younger viewership trends really tell you something about sort of the, the, I don't know, the hardcore fan interest or how relevant the show feels. And that's very positive in these year over year trends. We've got you know, multiple months in a row where those comparisons, the same month of the prior year is positive. And that is basically for raw uh, where, where there's been this many months in a row where you could say it's, it's up year over year. That has basically not happened. Uh, in, in any significant way, uh, since basically since cord cutting really started to be a, a, a negative, a net negative on linear TV. Um, SmackDown's been all over the place because it's been from sci-fi to USA Network to to Fox and all that. Um, but you know, so those are all these really external factors. So in in my assessment, this is an internal, largely internal reason why these ratings are up, and that's basically not happened you know at any time since I've been covering wrestling. Um, and I think it's, I think there was a, a to me, a, a comedic moment in, in the call where Stephen Cajal from Wells Fargo, the analyst asked, you know, Paul, if you could weigh in here, tell us what you're doing differently. And he just sort of, you know, what went on and praised everybody. And wow, he's got this, um, 
They've assembled the right team, world-class superstars. He praised developmental and the NIL pipeline. While the pipeline's great, the writing team is world-class. Kevin Dunn's team is great. Uh, we focused on character development. He did mention Sammy Zane and the bloodline, which I think is, is something real and relevant. Um, and they, they have this, what he called a planning the event horizon. And they look year over year. They do long-term planning, which is, I mean, it's, it's a, a new discovery, I think, in wrestling creative, this, this idea of long-term planning where you actually. In fact, the night after, the night after WrestleMania, someone came down to Seth Rollins while he was in the ring during a commercial break and they informed him of his, this long-term plan that they have as they came back from commercial break and we're letting them know literally on live television, this long-term plan. Yes. I think that there may have been somebody that the night after WrestleMania who came in and, and was experimenting with maybe more, you know, disrupting those, those long-term plans. But, but yeah, it's um, as much as you can say about, you know, Vince is, is more explicitly involved in creative. Now the month of April has not resulted in the reversal of these trends that we've been seeing for the last, I don't know, six months or so. Everything's okay. Still. And that that is extended to uh, ticket sales, the numbers that we have gone over. It is an interesting time now because, you know, despite all of these numbers, they are taking, I would say, like a a measured risk at this point by going back to these exclusive rosters. You are separating the belts. You're, you're making some you know changes that are going to be impacting the programming that this has been a winning hand that they have been playing. Now, I don't think that there is going to be some dramatic uh, drop off, even a worst case scenario, but they are certainly changing long term visions here when, when it comes to, you know, going going back to a presentation of separate rosters that you know, your audience has sort of told you seeing the big stars on both shows. It has resulted in both shows being up significantly and having those stories uh, back and forth. I don't know if you would want to be tinkering with what has been a winning formula. Yeah. Uh, be- before we started recording, I did try to dull my Vince McMahon grinding axe, but I, you know, it's, it's, he, he's back and he's got to change something that's not broken. And uh, probably the big problem that was happening for, for these, these months while he was off was that he was not getting credit for all these improvements in business that were, that were happening. And now, now at least he can have a hand in it and maybe get some of the credit if, if um, these positive trends that we're seeing survive for the, the months to come. Yeah. So as Brandon mentioned, they did break down not just uh, viewership increases for Raw and SmackDown, but also now introducing the 18 to 49 numbers. And just looking, I've been looking this month at last year when they were up against the NBA playoffs and the 18 to 34 numbers are even more impressive when you look at how much they're up. So it's, it's to me, it's like this three pronged attack. It's like our viewership is up. Our demo's up. Our younger viewership is up when, as you mentioned, if they were flat, I think people would take that as a win given that USA is in less homes from a year ago. Like th- there is a lot that they can boast about at, at the moment. And it comes at a pretty, pretty, it couldn't be better timing when, uh, we can talk about the exclusive negotiating window that, uh, could be ending imminently, if not already. Right. And, and they compare here's raw versus what USA does in prime time. Here's SmackDown versus what Fox does in prime time. And the, the, I mean, Fox has a lot more popular shows than USA network does. So SmackDown doesn't look as great against Fox as raw does against uh, USA. That, that said though, uh, Fox is winning most Friday nights when there's, at least when there's not like a special event, like there are NBA playoffs happening right now. Fox is winning Friday nights with it's only two hours filled with um, SmackDown. And that's, that's in the demo primarily. I mean, they're getting beat by like blue bloods and stuff like that on CBS, but, but Fox not, is not by young demo. rock. 
No, not by Young Rocky. They're on, on NBC. But, you know, Fox is able to win Friday night uh, because of SmackDown. Yeah, and you see this comparison of, like, what Raw brings to the USA Network. Like, it it dwarfs the average. And with SmackDown, like, you, you can certainly see it. It's kind of in line with uh, what, what Fox is producing. But the the connection for NBC Universal to retain Raw, like, you just see how dire USA Network would be without this this audience that is you now three times the primetime average. Like, it is the, the diamond of USA Network's programming schedule. And, and NXT is right, right on the average, I think, of what their yes. USA Network number is. And I would wonder if those USA Network numbers include Raw. So I guess if you like think about it, like okay, exclude the WWE stuff, maybe NXT would still be above the average. Which what what are we talking about at that point? Uh, what's USA running on on primetime other than WWE? And I think it's like Law and Order reruns and stuff like that. Which is wild when. I mean, it does not feel all that long ago that USA Network was just this juggernaut that WWE it was like they were part of this prestige network. And now they are they are carrying this thing at uh, at, at this point in time. So that, that was a, a big win for um, this particular quarter as we're live events. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the attendance figures? Uh, these were up, uh, you know, a 32 percent increase in total attendance uh, over a year ago and prices have gone up for uh, your, your average tickets. Right. I think the average ticket price was at $75. And, and think that, well, okay, that includes Royal Rumble. We know the Royal Rumble average ticket price was like 160 but they, they reported an average uh, attendance of 7,900, which is up from 5,700 in Q1 of the prior year. And it's important to look at these seasonal comparisons because Q1 tends to be a pretty good quarter for live events because I think it's, it's an in, indoor winter quarter and, and you have the run up to WrestleMania happening too. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's up. And I went back and looked at everything that since W has been breaking out attendance by domestic North America, which really means U S and Canada and international, which is everything else. And they've been breaking, breaking it out like that since 2004. And it's a, it's a, it's not quite a fair comparison because W has done fewer house shows in the last few years versus what they were doing, say, uh, 2016 or something like that. Um, but this is the, the highest average uh, for a quarter where you exclude WrestleMania. I've got to put in all these caveats. But this is this is a really high average attendance. Now it's got fewer house shows in it. But just to illustrate, at least within the last, at least certainly since um, since the return to COVID, and I think actually the, the return to COVID quarter, Q3 2021, that did have like an 8,000, it's not right on here, 8,300 uh, attendance average. And th- these are all paid numbers that they're, they're reporting, I believe, by the way. Um, so excluding that, this is like the highest average they've ever had. Now it's, now it's got a lot more, a lot fewer house shows than prior eras. So that lifts the average. Uh, but just to give you some sense of they are really are doing better than they were in certainly any time since the return to touring. And uh, in a sense, sometimes before the, the return to touring to before COVID. Has, uh, any of the performances, especially on, on the live events section, in terms of observing what's working on television and what the importance level is that you place on live events, people physically going to an event, buying a ticket versus tuning into to a, a show from their home in terms of like how engaged this viewership is when you are creating these stars. And in theory, they come to your local market. Yeah, it's, uh, it's buying a, making a purchase versus, you know, just sitting, sitting at home and watching something on TV. You know, it's, uh, 
watching something on TV is a, is a, is a cost of your time and going to an event is a cost of your time too, but it's a lot of friction to transport yourself down to the arena and pay admission to get in there. And then, you know, if the kids are hungry, they want like a $6 popcorn and stuff like that. Um, and the parking too. But, you know, I think the, the Roman Reigns storyline with Sami Zayn has become very strong. I think that has been a major contributor to SmackDown, which its ratings went up first before Raw. Raw was not doing as well, let's say, in the fall through the NFL season. Um, but Raw has really followed since the new year, and that coincides with the return of Cody Rhodes. Um, Cody Rhodes is on a lot of these house shows since he's you know returned from injury. So I, those stand out to me as the two biggest factors. And there's maybe external stuff like Peacock being in increasingly more homes and maybe people getting more engaged with WWE as a downstream to uh, Peacock being available in homes, perhaps that don't have access to the USA network or Fox. So that's what I see happening. And just maybe overall people perceive as anecdotally, it adds up people perceive the creative to be better in general, along with just the things that Roman Reigns is involved in the things that Cody Rhodes is involved in. Although we know how, how controversial the, the finish of WrestleMania's main event was. Um, it's not as if we see evidence that, oh, they've killed Cody. We don't see evidence of that. And we do have, well, we have tickets that were probably bought perhaps in, in, in advance of WrestleMania. Um, but we don't see signs that, you know, things have weakened drastically. We don't see signs that, ah, people are tuning out of Raw. Raw did an okay number last Monday. And um, SmackDown for the draft did a really strong number. Yeah, it's something I I have meant to go back and kind of like chart the last couple of months. But the Canadian numbers have been very interesting to watch because they were in the lead up to WrestleMania, like gigantic numbers that they were doing weekly. And since WrestleMania, like they have definitely come down and it's been several factors like it's the NHL playoffs are massive here. You've also got the Toronto Blue Jays that are a behemoth here in Canada as uh, big factors, but they have really come back down to, to earth in, in a big way over this past month that we have not seen uh, conversely in, in the U.S. as well, whether you are looking at as kind of a like an Owens and Zane factor or just the fact that there is a lot of like big sports that are doing just insane numbers, like well over a, a million for some of these Leafs games that, that are happening, which in Canada, like just these are crazy numbers we're talking about. Yeah, and I guess we, we should stress that this is – you know, in, in a business sense, this is the biggest time, not only of the year, but of the last five years of this TV rights cycle, because now is it, you know, the, the window for the exclusive negotiating window where WWE can only talk to NBCU and Fox about Raw and SmackDown. That's that either ended very recently or it's it's ending in a couple days or it's ending now. Um, and their ratings doing really well obviously helps them a lot for these U S TV rights negotiations that they have to do. And something else that Nick Khan mentioned uh, was the Montreal show coinciding with yeah, they got to renegotiate Canada rights. So maybe, maybe there were Rogers executives or something who were invited uh, to the Montreal show and um, LA uh, WrestleMania having, you know, being in LA in this entertainment center was positioned or at least helped with W's ability to, you know, bring everybody in to let them see and schmooze with them and build relationships perhaps and let them see a huge event. And that's what the UK show in London is is about. Not not the EW show, but the Money in the Bank show uh, is about too, because they've got a renew UK deal coming up soon too. Yeah. So all, all of the live events, it's just being dictated by uh, Nick Khan's itinerary. 
of who he needs to meet with and uh, piggybacking off these events. Yeah, I mean, where, where does WWE get the most of its money from? It's not from fans. It's from business relationships. And ultimately, those businesses have to be supported by fans. But m- most immediately, it's from TV rights and, and other kinds of uh, business relationships. And governments, yes. Yes, don't forget governments. The big tent poles. Let's hear from uh, Nick Khan during the uh, the earnings call. And this is him talking about the uh, the domestic television rights negotiations that are ongoing. A uh, couple things. We've had productive conversations with both Fox and NBCU. Uh, I believe that they're both seeing the product, uh, the growth of the product, the impact of the product uh, in the right way. So we're optimistic about all of that. In terms of the timing on getting a deal done, one thing I've experienced is that d- during the process of these things, you can control a lot of it. You can never control when it closes or when you get to an agreement. So can't estimate that yet, but we remain bullish on Raw and SmackDown. Bullish on both. And it was uh, brought up during the, the Q&A about how long this exclusive negotiating window is. And Nick Khan's response was about a month, about a month. So you can take that as 30 days or very close to that number, which he had stated going into WrestleMania weekend was when the exclusive negotiating window was going to begin. So you can do the math. It's as Brandon said, it's either up or just about to be up. Do you read anything into that, that this 30 days are up? And do you see WWE exploring the outside offers? Like it would seem strategic that you would want to go to the market with these rights, but Nikon is very much a, he puts these, the incumbents, as he puts them, um, very front and center in terms of giving them every opportunity. And I think that ultimately an NBC Universal deal is expected by everyone. And maybe SmackDown is more your question. Yeah. And Brandon Ross, the analyst um, who we talked to a couple of weeks ago, also asked him about whether. Many questions. Many questions. Uh, he asked him whether there was any IOI, which I quickly had to Google. Indicators of interest. So he was asking if there's, if you, you know, is there any way for you to, to, to measure? Do you know how, how much interest there is from outside parties other than your incumbents? And he said, no, exclusive means exclusive uh, for what that's worth. Uh, so it, I guess my, my sense now is that, you know, SmackDown is, is the, as you said, is the one question. I, I very much expect Raw to stay with NBC Universal. And if SmackDown doesn't stay with Fox, well, then where does it go? And I think NBCU starts to stand out to me more so as a potential candidate, as, as a potential home, more so than Amazon, I guess. Um, WBD is, I don't think, is a real realistic outcome, especially with the things we're seeing around AEW and WBD. Um, so, like, who does that really leave, you know, other than Amazon and NBCU, which if they end up if NBC ends up taking SmackDown, it, it really raises the question, why did you not just buy that company? But but I guess that's moot now. Um, Amazon, and I don't really think there's any real players out there, right, other than those as far as making really competitive bids. You know, the other potential players, I guess, would be Paramount, but I don't see any obvious homes there. Um, You're not a Paramount and- stockholder, are you, today? No, I've, I've got no – I heard they cut their dividend, right? Their their stock is down. I think twenty six percent today is not mm-hmm. a good day for Paramount. All, all the uh, the content companies have been suffering, I guess, because mm-hmm. of this writer's strike. Um, yeah, no, I, I do. I only hold Apple, Microsoft, and some index funds. So I've, I've mostly uh, disavowed myself or uh, divested myself of, of, uh, of these media companies. Um, 
I don't think Netflix is going to do more live. They had some trouble with their, uh, their live broadcast recently. Apple's not getting into wrestling. I don't believe that for a second. So it's just NBCU and Amazon that seem to be the other players for SmackDown to me. I threw this out on Wednesday and just hearing like from a number of like industry people that are talking about this writer's strike, like many believing like this is not going to be something that is settled imminently. Like this could go into, into the fall potentially. And if, if you're uh, one of these broadcasters and this would apply to AEW, WWE, do you lean more in terms of this is, this is content that we can fill holes with if, if necessary for uh, certain you know, gaps in our schedule once you're getting to crunch time. Do you, do you see any potential positive effect if you are one of these companies and NBC, like they're going to need to fill uh, hours potentially? I suppose. I mean, it's something you could bring with negotiations to say, hey, look, we, as you know, as Nick said on the call, we've got no writers who are. We're never going to go on strike. Like you never have to worry not about part this. Of, the, of a union or association. Pandemic. Uh, We've got a gym. We'll go through right. with this. Like it's, it's honestly like it's a cushion for these companies that are like this. The, the, the apocalypse could occur and WWE will get a show on the air on Monday night. Yeah. And then I mean, COVID was proof for that. Then neither of them missed a week. Um, but yeah, I guess it, it helps them with that argument. And maybe there's some openings in the, in the TV schedule that they could be plugged into. I mean, I, I guess those PLEs could go anywhere if NBC Universal wanted to air them somewhere other than Peacock. Um, and WBD is certainly, it, it, if you know, reports are accurate, is about to pick up more hours of, of AEW. Every night of the week, AEW. We're getting close, right? It'll be on three. And, and if you insist on watching uh, Ring of Honor, four. Just have to come up with more names. Uh, Dynamite, Collision, Eruption, Disruption, um, bre- Breakage. I mean, w- w- what other uh, words can we come up with in the, the um, age? Yeah. That, uh, that they can expand programming with. Uh, in terms of a uh, Peacock viewership, and uh, m- maybe you can uh, talk a little bit about uh, a- any kind of data you can uh, glean from this, but we got the uh, the requisite percentage increases year over year. Royal Rumble up 52% from 2022. Elimination Chamber up 54%. And then WrestleMania 39, they said 39% increase internationally and 29% increase domestically. And in kind of a throwaway comment, Nick Khan mentioning that uh, WrestleMania 39 was watched by uh, 35 million viewers internationally, I think he threw out on, on this call. I don't know how yeah. that number was arrived at, um, 35 million people. So that's um, that's quite a number. Yeah. Um, we got positive deltas again. We don't know how many viewers that really means. There was a, an interesting slide that was presented in a uh, – it's like some sort of committee meeting at the tourism and sports committee uh, meeting in, in uh, Orlando in Orange County from late March that uh, I came across, uh, which shows some numbers of how many viewers these PLEs got, which it's not clear if these are global numbers or U.S. numbers. I tend to think they're global numbers or I'm, I'm sorry, I, I tend to think they're U.S. numbers. So like, you know, over a million people watching the biggest WPLEs is is what this slide indicates. So, I mean, that's uh, and that's in line with what, what were the reports on on uh, the Rumble having this Rumble this year having almost two million viewers. I, I guess this is this is believable. Yeah, I would love the breakdown of the thirty five million figure. I mean, it was a uh, that was a very very large number, but that was um that was on the the Peacock front. And I mean, aside from that, when you look at the 
um, the Q and A portion. Um, let's let's hear from uh, Frank Riddick. So this is in relation to uh, the pending merger. Actually, let's hear from Nick Khan first, and this is his reaction to uh, the merger and how comfortable they feel uh, with Endeavor. Here, spoiler: they're they're very excited. We're all excited uh, about everything that should and will happen uh, together with UFC and with the folks from Endeavor. Uh, keep in mind, we've known these folks for a long period of time. So they're not strangers to us. Their style is not strange to us. Uh, it's something that we give a full embrace to. Uh, and I can certainly represent, you know, emphatically to you on the creative that there's no one at Endeavor or the UFC that has any interest in trying to interfere with that uh, in any way whatsoever. I, I think Dana White would also represent to you that n- never or almost never, I don't know the specifics, but never would be my guess. Uh, has the Endeavor folks told him, no, you should do this match or you should do it this way. That's not what they do. That's not what they say they do. And that's not what they're going to do. All of the other things that we talked about in terms of revenue and continuing to build a business internationally and domestically, we think they're experts at. And uh, we're looking forward to getting into all of that and more once the deal is approved. Yes. And MMA fans will remember right at the beginning of the pandemic when Dana White was going to buck uh, any commissions and go run a card on uh, at Tachi Palace on an Indian reservation. And that was when, uh, allegedly, he did get a call from Disney saying, you are not doing this, Dana. And uh, that, that would be maybe a, uh, an instance of uh, Disney getting involved in, uh, in UFC's uh, live event planning. But yes, for, for the most part, he believes it will be we will be left to our devices to run our company. As as uh, as it sits presently, and we are we are used to their style. We are very comfortable with these people, right? And and, and what you're talking about sounds like a TV partner going to UFC and saying you're not going to do this, as opposed to Endeavor going to UFC. And uh, right, it and- it seems like yeah, it, this came. The, the reports were that like this came from from Disney uh, up top, as opposed to um, an Endeavor itself call, right? Yeah, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if. Uh, if Vince and Dana had had a meeting before the Endeavor deal was was agreed to, to for for Vince to get some advice on whether whether Dana really does have you know as much freedom as he wants, uh, maybe to reassure Vince of um, that he would be able to whatever that W would be able to control creative anyway, whether or not Vince controls creative another question. Um, I think maybe yeah, maybe you can email Vince and ask him about that meeting and, and how it went with Dana. There, there, there may be a filing that that would uh, aid in, in, in doing such a thing. Um, and I think that you know when we're, we're talking about all these TV deals and, and just you know over the last year we've been talking about the the scandal surrounding Vince and he went away for five months and he came back and why did he go away? We're not really sure, but he did, did, did decide to retire and was was part of it because he believed or people around him convinced him that his presence would have a, a negative impact on W's TV rights negotiations. Well, he's back. And is it going to have any negative impact? Nobody in the air thinks, you know, that's not in the air. So, um, I, I, it just remains a, there's a big story around what happened and why all these people left and why Stephanie left and why he left and came back. That is very much untold. Yeah. And it was mentioned in here that this quarter, and this had been disclosed earlier, a $17.4 million payment by Vince McMahon covering uh, certain costs related to the investigation. I was kind of curious if Jeff Shell was going to be brought up in this call, not just, you know, the, the very clear comparison you could make to Vince McMahon, but as well, it does this at all. Is this someone that 
is a connection for WWE in these negotiations? Does Jeff Shell does that impact anything, even a, in a remote way, um, for Nick Khan? Yeah, that would have been a, a good analyst question. Um, I, I, I get the sense that some of these questions, I mean, I know it's not a press conference and, and the, their job is to understand the company and make their estimates and, and all of that. Uh, but it, it, they seem to like to avoid uh, questions that make people feel uncomfortable or, or get at anything that, that approaches the moral. But I think, I don't expect that it does have any any difference. You know, I mean, Jeff, W was with... Um, NBCU probably well before Jeff Shell was was CEO of, of NBCU. I don't think he was CEO for very long, um, and I'm sure they'll be around after. And we've kind of already discussed how central and how important W content is to USA Network and, and to Peacock as well. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. So I mentioned uh, uh, Riddick, uh, Frank Riddick here. We're going to hear from him about the uh, potential cost synergies. This was a question about uh, corporate expenses uh, for the company and where the the majority of that is uh, is fixed. Yeah, so the, the corporate expense uh, the, is the unallocated uh, overhead. We have other expenses that we consider corporate that are allocated to the business segments, obviously, but it's primarily the cost of the finance, the technology, the data analytics, marketing, and international groups, as well as, you know, typical corporate, uh, the executive office. So that's the primary costs that are in um, the, the corporate buckets. If you, if you look at it, the, 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 the main expense we have is uh, that shows up in corporate is people. And the uh, cost, the compensation cost for people, um, the, the cost of running the public company, um, you know, are, are not the, the biggest part of that uh, expense bucket. There are costs like D&O insurance and the cost of the board and the cost of doing SEC filings and things like that, but uh, where there's opportunity. And with respect to the potential for cost synergies, you know, we've independently, not with Endeavor, but ourselves, looked at the our costs and the buckets and where there might be opportunities. And we, we, we're very comfortable with the 50 to $100 million range that's been um, articulated and uh, are starting to think about how to organize to go get those costs once the deal closes. All right. So you lift up those corporate buckets, Brandon, and you got to, there's going to be some spillage from these corporate buckets. And the biggest, the biggest gain is it's people. We've got a lot of people. People are expensive. People are expensive, and we are very comfortable getting to this fifty to a hundred million dollar figure uh, that has been thrown out. So um, that was uh, as you know, dressed up uh, a comment as you're, you're going to get that they are uh, they are going to be addressing these corporate buckets uh, in, in time. Very rare that we have a Frank Riddick quote that we isolate here. It's usually yes. the Nick Khan show here, but this was a, a rare Frank Riddick appearance on this show. Yes, it's, it's usually uh, prepared remarks and reciting uh, very, very dry and technical uh, fi- financial bar, bar charts and things like that. Uh, but I, w- I was thinking about it. You know, they disclosed in their proxy statement the median compensation for w- for a W employee was something like one hundred one thousand dollars in twenty twenty two. So, I mean, if you divide that by one hundred million dollars, you got a thousand people. I mean, and that's more employees than they have. I think. I think they have something like nine hundred or eight hundred employees. So, it it doesn't really set any limit mathematically on how many people could be laid off. To me, um, and 
as, as far as any hints that have been given, they're going to protect creative. They're going to protect production. You know, if you're on the road, it sounds like you're probably pretty safe, um, but not clear anybody else. Yeah, including free agents. There are free agents uh, coming out of this draft as well. A lot of people, you, you want to be signed. You want to be signed to our SmackDown after this draft, wouldn't you? Unless you're Brock yes. Lesnar or Omos. Well, but clearly, they're, they're going to you know, use Omos as like that, that traveling Andre the Giant character. Uh, and just uh, wrapping up just from the, uh, the, the rest of the call, um, yeah, just questions about the, the exclusive negotiating window that we went over here. Uh, long-term partnerships when it comes to sponsors seems very optimistic that the that Endeavor is going to help them internationally continuing to grow sponsorships. And we have seen that being a major growth area. And it sets the stage for what should be a very big second quarter for the company where you have this, um, you know, this, this hot streak that the company is running a WrestleMania quarter and a large scale international event coming up at the end of May. Yeah. And, and another thing that uh, I've been noticing as I comb through the, the filings is we've got less insight on, on merchandise sales than ever. And that, that was kind of already the case. We kind of already understood that from a couple quarters ago when they started the, the fanatics relationship. And that has, that has eliminated their reporting of, they used to report how many units they sold mm-hmm. e-commerce on W shop and, and maybe some other outlets. Yeah, none of that this time. So that's gone. And the venue merch data is gone now too. And I imagine it would have been gone once they started doing venue merch through Fanatics. They announced the deal uh, like a month ago or something like that. But that's that's all in Q2, I guess. But that's already out of out of the filings, so we don't know what their venue merch per capita was for Q1, for example. Um, so Those Cody yeah. Rhodes weightlifting belts that I saw at Elimination Chamber. Um, I could only imagine what the Do they uh, have all the the indie companies written on them. I, I don't know that like there's a second version of those weight belts that could have been sold. Imagine how many potential weightlifters were walking out of SoFi stadium on both nights of WrestleMania this year. I mean, those things I can't, re- they were selling for like a hundred dollars at the bell center. Those things the weightlifting belts. Yeah. Like, it's like a smash wrestling and smash wrestling, getting a royalty for that. And uh, beyond wrestling. If Sebastian Suave didn't get a carve out <laughs> of the Cody Rhodes merchandise, then, then I don't know what to say. Yeah. But the, one, one piece of information that Nick said, that was new information to me. Uh, and I think it was new information in general is that he said that the, that WrestleMania did $7 million in vending merch sales. And, uh, I, I did the math to see what is that for capita. And if you look at it, I did the, do the wrestle ticks number, not their announced number, and then like knock off 10% of it. And you get to something that's well over a $50 vending merch per capita number. Um, I said, well, maybe he's counting like all the other events. Maybe he's counting SmackDown and stand and deliver and raw. Uh, all of that. And, and, and even then you're still at like $46 per, per ticket, per sold ticket. And then a lot of those people are repeat customers, right? Cause a lot of people are going to more than a lot of people are going to both nights of WrestleMania alone, let alone right. everything else. But that's a lot of merchandise per person, which he said broke the record of the $5.2 million of last year. Um, and we do have the, the, the half capacity 2021 WrestleMania, which did 32, I believe $32 many merch per capita. So that's like almost doubling. It's like times and a half or something like that. So that's a lot of any merch per capita. Uh, let's talk a bit about the, uh, the this Royal Rumble bid. So you you, you came across the, uh, the this was a presentation done on March twenty seventh in Orlando where they are making their pitch and they are seeking eight hundred fifty thousand dollars bid for the Royal Rumble and making the argument of 
what the economic impact will be to the city of Orlando and using comparisons, uh, Orlando hosting the Royal Rumble or in 2016 and then WrestleMania in 2017, the, uh, the roller coaster set. And this would be the Rumble at the stadium at is a camping world stadium that they ran yes. WrestleMania in. So this would be a stadium event next uh, January. And there's a lot of interesting things in here just from the slides that obviously this uh, bidding group is working in concert with WWE who are providing this data for right. them. And certainly um, a lot about the streaming data that I was mentioning earlier too, is clearly WWE is giving them data to say, yeah, go to, go to your government and go to your, your government officials to see if they'll approve of this. They want this to happen. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a high six figure fee that they are seeking for this and a lot of breakdowns of their, their audience, uh, ethnicities that are watching. I think like a 67% male skew, like get, getting pretty significant in terms of the, uh, the, the breakdown that they are getting here. But this is, you know, we have certainly seen for several of these international events, but now this is becoming, um, what they're looking for, like as you reported with, with backlash and what they're getting for these the two nights coming up this weekend in Puerto Rico, and it would seem like this is going to be what they're seeking. Especially if you can start getting cities in in the U.S. on a significant basis, um, this is obviously a huge amount of revenue if if they can get it. And getting public dollars for these events is very interesting that they're navigating this. Right. So backlash this, this weekend, yes. and they're getting. $1.5 million in cash plus a value of an additional $300,000, which I believe is related to the venue and maybe some other things. Uh, so essentially $1.8 million in value from the government in Puerto Rico, from the tourism board uh, and some other organizations in Puerto Rico. They got a subsidy for Clash the Castle in Cardiff. We don't know how much. And there, there was a, a report from a local outlet in Cardiff where the, the, the media there asked and uh, local government would not disclose. Um, I believe they got, it's pretty likely they got some subsidy from San Antonio for this year's Royal Rumble. Uh, my public records request that they already gave me some information, lots of information on for the, the attendance and ticket sales. Um, there's some portion of it that had to go to the attorney general of Texas or something like that. And I'm, I think we're now past the, the, the time frame that they told me it would take. I followed the email the other day. I haven't gotten a response yet. Mm. So, so I don't know if we'll learn anything from, from that public records request about the bidding for San Antonio, but it seems that there was some bidding process and they were, it was being given to the attorney general to, to not to, 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 to see if they had to disclose it or not, because there was concern that disclosing it would hurt them competitively in future bidding for W events. So anyway, I, High six figures, you know, Orlando approved of, or you know, Orange County approved of an eight hundred and fifty thousand dollar bid. Um, I thought it was interesting that they they put uh, one slide on the screen that had the total combined attendances for all these Royal Rumble events. Which, if you look up, these are the announced attendances, or actually they're maybe slightly different. They're like a hundred higher than the announced attendances. Anyway, they're putting all these announced attendances on on the screen that are announced attendances that. I mean, we know what the San Antonio announcement attendance included, and that included the capacity of empty suites, the capacity of an empty press box, the, the, the staff who are all probably local people. And the justification here is that, hey, look, we're bringing a lot of traveling wrestling fans in here who are going to spend money on hotels. They had some people who run hotels come to this uh, this meeting, too. Um, and that definitely benefits the hotels and the talent and everything. And, and the, the out-of-town staff, that makes sense, too. They're all spending money on hotels. Um, but they're using a... And an enhanced exaggerated attendance figure here, which I think is uh, 
is questionable at the least. It's a, it, it's definitely like a great territory you're operating in when you're, you are like seeking like public dollars for these events. But some of the arguments they made is the fact that with the events now on Saturday, their, their research suggests longer stays in, in the city for people that are coming out. And I think the number that they threw out was for the, I can't remember if it was the Rumble in, in 2016 or the following year's WrestleMania, but nonetheless, it was like a 60% figure that were from outside of Orlando. So kind of arguing the fact that this is not just a local crowd that is showing up, but this is a traveling event, which a Royal Rumble is is going to be not at the scope of WrestleMania, but nonetheless, it's um, a, a big event for them to stage. And as we've seen with some of these other events, kind of piggybacking SmackDown on it, where they're trying to make a weekend out of it for people that are coming and make it, you know, two nights of, of revenue for the city. Yeah. And, and just to add, and if you want to see these slides, I, I tweeted the two key slides that we're referencing here. They're on my Twitter. Um, we also put on the slides, the CPMs, like the, the cost per thousand viewers uh, d- during the PLEs um, and, and the Orange, Orange County government officials were discussing how that, that would be a real value to them because it's Orlando, it's a tourism city and all that. Um, and they're consider- so if for, for fans in Orlando or maybe considering going to Orlando for Royal Rumble, if it happens in 2024, um, there, is, there, was, there were allusions to the possibility of an Amway Center event in conjunction with Royal Rumble at Camping World Stadium. So that would be, I would think, a Raw or a SmackDown or maybe even an NXT event. Um, and there was a quick, a really brief reference to Orlando, or maybe I should say Orange County, potentially making a bid for WrestleMania in 2025. So we know Philadelphia is WrestleMania next year. 2025 is not finalized. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen reports that maybe Minneapolis is going to get it, um, which has never had a WrestleMania, but I'm sure there'll be many municipalities bidding for WrestleMania. And it's worth noting the fact that the the UFC we have seen uh, enter into some of these uh, the same process as well. They've got a an agreement to bring shows to Houston on a fairly regular basis. Last summer they also went to Salt Lake City, which is kind of a an out of the way place for a major UFC pay per view event. But when there's a there there's a site fee, it certainly incentivizes them. So I think with both companies, you're you're looking at all ways of finding revenue. And if there's a demand for these events, they're, they're going to be able to find this and it can be, you know, very, uh, a, a very expensive proposition for some of these cities. But also I, I just think this is going to be the way that they're positioning these uh, premium live events as they continue to move forward. But I'll, I just was really interested in how, how much information they're disclosing in these, uh, in, in these meetings and not surprised that it would make its way to the WrestleNomics universe. Yeah. It's um, it, it just the, the notion of these site fees is an interesting phenomenon where we're seeing this turn from a what, what seems like an increasingly primitive wrestling business of a few decades ago where it was about ticket sales, selling selling things directly to wrestling fans. And it's become more so about um, about about upfront guaranteed payments, either from media partners or even even governments. And I mean, Saudi Arabia is the biggest one of all by, by far, uh, which is a totally different story. Uh, just these these upfront payments to even now have live events in, in certain locations. Last thing before we uh, end off, let's move over to AEW. They had a, a pretty big week this week, and that's uh, before they have even officially put tickets on sale to the public. And that is the, the pre-sale numbers for All In that is set for Sunday, August 27th at the Wembley Stadium in London. 
over 43,000 tickets sold and a gate of 5.7 million U.S., according to Tony Khan, uh, with his latest update coming on Thursday evening um, after having a, a spirited, uh, well, argument with Mike Coppinger online of ESPN, who had stated he had heard that it was scaled for 40 and uh, blowing past that number already. So the on-sale date for the public is Friday. So sort of, you know, it's you can take your guess at what the further demand is going to be uh, for people that did not seek out one of these unique codes that were limited, as I understand it, to AEW Plus subscribers on Fight and those that were customers at shop AEW. So you had to do some legwork to get this code. And I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal figure um, before even the public on sale has begun. Right. I, I, I heard you the, when I listened to um, Ruvana Dynamite this morning, 70,000, you think they can reach? I'm thinking that I think that's within shooting distance. I think that you are going to get another wave on Friday. And I would, I would think conservatively that should take you over 50, um, which leaves a big gap until 70. But I leave that to be like, how much of a rush is there going to be in those final six weeks when you have a card and how big of a, of an attraction you put on this show? Like you put, you know, Sting's career at stake. Like, is there something that's going to move people in in that way? Or are we going to be limited to the vast majority of tickets being confined to this week? Yeah, I guess. And I've heard people say that, um, you know, that the hospitality availability, hotel availability around London may be an issue. Um, so I, I, just, I just don't know about that. But I guess I don't I don't have a great sense of like how many people are going to buy tickets still who didn't, didn't get pre-sales. But you're saying that it was it was limited to people who are AEW plus or maybe AEW shop customers. Is that right? That was my so, understanding. Yeah, that well, I you, think you're right. I, and that these were unique codes too. So it couldn't be a case of where I have a code and I can give it off to you and you use it a- as well. But yeah, right. that was, that was my understanding, but I, I, I don't know the intricacies of uh, uh, the, these codes that I'm sure people will uh, inform me of. If I'm well, wrong. we heard that there were as many as what, 60,000 presale requests that, that, that were, that were in, in that, that neighborhood. Yeah. So, and we're at 43,000 at, at this point. I mean, in any case, this is going to be an event that's kind of, I mean, a minimum 50,000 people at it and, and maybe well, well above that if they can really fill this stadium. And I think it's, it's really a, a marketing value that I think has already started to take effect in that it, it does feel all of a sudden, like I, I, I felt like we were in kind of, I mean, we did a podcast of several weeks ago about the, the decline in AEW popularity, which we can see demonstrated in a number of metrics. Um, and it, it feels like it has this, this event and its ticket sales have shifted the mood around AEW. And that's, this is only the beginning. And, and another massive piece of it will be when they have this event and you, you put the camera on a stadium full of people, um, not for an, a WWE event in a, in a big stadium, but for an AEW event in the big stadium for the first time. I think it really raises, you know, some some uh, Monday morning quarterbacking about, you know, doing the first show in Canada in the Rico Coliseum as opposed to Rogers Center. Yeah, I I can't say that a major pay-per-view at the Rogers Center would do this level of business, but I I think 30 would have been a very achievable number for the first time in the market and for one of your major pay-per-views on, on top of that and just for the amount of travelers that, that you would get uh, for that show. I, I think it was a missed opportunity. I don't know if they could, if they could replicate it. I, I still think there would be a, as we can see with forbidden door, like there was a giant demand for the, the Scotiabank center, which is not right. 
not Rogers Center, but it's not Rico either. So and it had to be a pay per view. Like I don't think they yes. could have done a Dynamite at, at the no, Rogers Center. No, it would have yeah. to have been one of one of your major pay per view events. But I, I would say like the there are very encouraging signs from Forbidden Door to this All In event. The you know the natural anticipation that a CM Punk is going to generate. And the eyes that will be on this Saturday night experiment to see how how it gets off the ground and the sustainability of a second night of AEW programming. And if it is if they are able to replicate a, anything approximating dynamite, if it is in between that and and rampage. But this is obviously a big summer for AEW and where they are come September. Yeah, so I I, I, I tend to believe, and I don't have any information about this, but I tend to believe on May 17th, which is the day of the WBD upfronts, we'll probably find out that it's official that AEW collision is happening. Um, I I did try to call United Center this this morning, and I asked the the guy at the box office if he knew if there was an event on June 17th in United Center. He didn't know anything about it, but he did forward me to uh, to somebody, so I left a voicemail. But, um, yeah, I think if, you know, assuming which I, I believe it's true that there's going to be an AEW collision Saturday night show. I can't, I guess I was going to, you know, if, are they going to be, is this, does this mean an increase in fees and compensation for AEW from WBD? Um, I thought certainly when I had the idea that they were going to have to add another weekly night of, of touring, that doesn't seem to be the case now. Now, now that we're hearing that dark and dark elevation are going away, that that leaves open some space for them to do the normal diet of of TV taping that they, they've they've been doing, especially if Collision is only a one hour show. Then, then again, um, if if part of the idea here is that well, we can keep Punk and the EVP separated, they're still going to be at the same t- tapings in that case. So I don't know. I'm sure there'll be some live collisions you know the first one will be live i'm sure um and then that's 17th is probably saturday so it's you know that that would be live um but anyway it i think it raises the question once this is announced and official that they have another tv show you're adding another hour of, of content on a weekly basis so this maybe this means more money for aew and i think it raises the question okay does is this a renewal or is this a an adjustment of the current deal or what's going on here um and I would think AEW would, would want to announce that and make a big deal about it if that was the case. Um, so that that remains to be seen. And I think whether or not AEW has the option renewed already, I think that's probably the case. Don't know. Tony, Tony I asked Tony, he would not say. Um, but uh, I expect Dynamite and Rampage to be on TV in, in, in January. So probably is. Um, but it, it, it raises the question whether or not that show is indicative of a new deal already being in place or, or what's going on there. And the other one would also be, you know, the potential of of a streaming option, like where you are going right. to be able to watch this all in show that is already being marketed and is legitimately the biggest by far show in company history. And it's it's a huge show if you were going to launch like a presence on on Max or yeah. whatever will be. Now, that would be channel. my prediction that m- maybe we learn Collision is a new show and all in will be streaming live on Max. Well, there you have it on the AEW front, and you are now all caught up on the WWE's uh, business earnings through the end of March 2023. And Brandon, are you back tonight with the WrestleNomics 30? No. The, the, okay. This is, for, for subscribers, this is your, your Thursday podcast for the week. Um, but we will be back on Sunday uh, with 
Chris Gull and Jesse Collings and me uh, for WrestleNomics Radio talking about whatever we learned between then and now. Uh, any any early indications of who's gotten out to the lead on on the WrestleNomics draft that was uh, the real draft of the week with due respect to the NFL and WWE? True. I, I, did, I haven't run the numbers since the last couple of days, but um, I was way ahead. I'm sorry to say I was way ahead of, uh, of either Gullah or Jesse at this point, just because I, I, I drafted wrestlers who had a higher ELO to begin with than everybody else. But we have, we have a whole uh, seven or so months before uh, we have to count everything up, I guess. Well, I got ahead of myself because we have one final business note. And that is that as announced on Rewinded Dynamite, on Sunday, June the 25th, along with the team at Poison Rana, myself and Wei Ting, we are teaming up with uh, Braden Harrington and Davey Portman to present The Forbidden Poor, your official, well, unofficial, pre- and post-show party coming up the day of Forbidden Door here in Toronto. Sunday, June the 25th, we are going to be across the street from the Scotiabank Arena. You could not have a closer location unless you were inside the Scotiabank Center. It is going to be a live Q&A hosted by Way and myself. Doors open at 3 p.m. Eastern time, and you will get the live Q&A, and then we're going to be hanging out with listeners. Then you can walk over, catch Forbidden Door, and then make your way right back to Real Sports for the after party, where Braden and Davey will be hosting wrestling karaoke. And uh, we, we got off to a very... almost the biggest pre-sale of the entire week because uh, we we put out... The first 30 people could get official post-wrestling fifth anniversary t-shirts gone, gone, Brandon, uh, in, wow. in record fashion. So look at that. Our, our advances is, is huge. We were, uh, you know, some people thought we were going to be like scaled for, uh, for 20. We, we yeah. exceeded those, those numbers. So, uh, hoping that Brandon Thurston might even make uh, a cameo if we can uh, lock you down with a site fee. Right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll discuss that. And, but I think it just demonstrates just how strong the post wrestling flywheel is for, for both, uh, post wrestling listeners, the audience and, and for all of its business partners. Yeah. I just, I want to give a heartfelt thank you to all of our corporate buckets for, uh, helping us, uh, promote this postwrestling.com slash live $30 gets you, uh, your all day ticket to the pre and post show party, the forbidden poor. Uh, so check out patreon.com slash wrestlenomics. And this Sunday they will be back. Brandon. Jesse and Chris breaking down all of the stories going on in professional wrestling and, and the fallout from backlash. I want a, a, a deep dive into bad bunnies, San Juan street fight with Damian priest. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll be there. Yeah. Okay. So look forward <laughs> to that and, uh, and more to come. Uh, we might have an interview coming, coming your way next week. We, we have been in touch with, uh, with a power player out there. Um, but plenty of people that we have, um, on our expanding secret, double secret spreadsheet. So you can check all of that out. Thanks to everyone for joining us live. And uh, that will wrap things up. Thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.